Hello and welcome to the Healthy Empath Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Marshausen, here with Ashley Warner, a holistic family psychologist. She supports families to embark on a more conscious parenting journey by unpacking, exploring, and healing what no longer serves them. So I am fairly new to her work, but I, when I did come across it, I felt a very strong uh, sensation, excitement, and desire within me that basically said I'm, I need to talk to her, um, probably because this is one of my favorite topics ever, just you know, parenting and con- conscious parenting. And uh, it's not something we always talk about on the podcast or I bring it up here and there, but it's something that you know, most of my clients uh, experience and uh, such an important part of our lives. So yeah, I just felt like I, we needed to hear her wisdom. So I'm so excited to, to chat with her. I could feel the sincerity you know, within her own soul and being and uh, super excited. So Ashley, thank you uh, for being here. Thanks, Mike. It's so exciting to be here and chat with you. Thanks for having me. All right. So you talk about conscious discipline and, you know, you help families, right? right um, like I mentioned in, in the bio, can you tell us a little bit about your journey, how you got into this and why is this work important? Mm. Um, well, I guess before I had my own son, I was working in trauma. So I was working with women and children who had experienced sexual assault and family violence. And the things that we were teaching and working with, with those parents just seemed like such essential knowledge that I wondered why we were kind of waiting until something went wrong to actually help parents understand this about the nervous system and about emotions and about releasing. Um, So that was kind of my journey into it. And when I had my son, that was my real push to say, okay, actually, I feel like this needs to be a bit more widespread. This needs to be something that all parents know. Um, And then I guess the other part of this was that when I had my child, you know, being a psychologist, I knew that a big part of parenting was about us. But when I had my own child, I, that kind of (laughs) just was even more intense for me. And I thought, wow, I didn't realize the depths of how much this is about me. And so again, that was something that I just felt called to share and, and talk about and spread because I think that it's not really something that's talked about enough. I think we focus too much on children and not necessarily ourselves and our own healing. Um, so yeah, so then I guess that I had my son and I was kind of didn't really want to go back to working in that space. Um, I really wanted to be at home as much as I could. And I just, the more I learned about this and the more I understood it, the more I wanted to share it. And I guess that's where I am now kind of sending, talking about that message on Instagram and having coaching clients and Um, working with families around how they can kind of heal their own journey and heal their own stuff so that it doesn't transcend into the next generation. Nice. And so was this a big part of, uh, did did your childhood have a lot to do with this? Because, you know, some people, you know, they get into it because they had rough childhoods. um, And then other people, um, it seems like, like, even for myself, this is one of my most passionate things, but I didn't have parents who were so crazy opposite obviously you know they're they don't or i wouldn't, wouldn't say like the conscious parenting and that kind of stuff but um you know almost never any um physical or, or even really mental emotional abuse anything like that quite pretty awesome parents but yet this is something that still is just excites me so much so what was the um mm. yeah what's the case for you i'm glad you asked that because actually as i was answering your question i'm like there's another piece to that what is it <laughs> Um, so you're absolutely right. This was the 
I guess for me, I, similar to you, I had really great parents. I had, you know, a really great childhood. Um, everything on the surface was wonderful, but my parents had their own trauma histories or their own stuff going on and didn't kind of quite, couldn't quite get that next layer of, of seeing us emotionally, of understanding, you know, some of us were a bit more sensitive than others and understanding how to kind of tune into that. And I think that was part of the generation. There's lots of, lots of reasons why that was. Um, I think a generation ago, parenting was quite different. So I totally understand that, but it was, you know, I, th- I don't know who it is that says it, but somebody says you teach what it was that you needed to know. And I definitely feel that that's, that's been me. I teach what my, what I needed as a child and what I needed the people around me to understand is a big part of what I teach and I help parents understand. And that's really about tuning into those difficult emotions and being able to sit with those challenging feelings in kids so that they know that they're normal and they learn that they will rise and fall um, and learn how to release them so that they can go out into the world and keep experiencing things. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Very similar thing for me too. And that's uh, a lot of the, almost like the unseen part and you're right. Cause so, so many people are focused on, you know, these bigger, like obvious kind of traumas and uh, there's not as much you know recognition given to just simply, you know, being misunderstood, you know, in this child mm-hmm. and in this world, or simply just not having, you know, any rites of passage, you know, any ceremony, yes. you know, any way to figure out who you are. You know, exactly. to express your individuality. So you may have kind of loving parents, never hit you, never mm. you know, swore at you, but that yes. doesn't mean like you, you know, walk through this world with a, on this kind of, um, like we were talking about like, just like the, that sense of like, you know, confidence and clarity, you know, you know who you are and you have like that passion and that excitement mm. because you're just kind of a little, little lost, little confused and almost like bored. Like what are you, know, what is this human experience supposed to even be? <laughs> yes, <laughs> absolutely. Um, so speaking of generational trauma and, you know, healing from the, so someone asked me this one time, you know, when I was explaining about how, you know, like, and then you're right. Like, you know, my parents did probably a, a way better job than their parents. And then, you know, now yeah. I'm going to see how can I take it one step further? And exactly. I hope my children do that. Um, the same thing. Oh, how can I take it one step further? And, but the question is, what was something that, you know, my dad or, or had, he, you know, do you think he healed or what was some type of karmic completion that he had with his parents? And I was like, well, oh, I never really honored that that much. So, so mm. I'm going to ask you that question. You know, what is something that, you know, your parents, you know, worked on for, for you? And then what is something that you think your kids are going to have to, you know, what's the next step that they're going to take it? That's a beautiful question. I love that. And I think it is so important for us to be able to reflect on because I think a lot of people do look at what our parents couldn't give us. And that's an important part to honour and to think about, but it also is important to recognise what they did shift. And I can totally wholeheartedly see that my parents shifted huge amounts of of, um, trauma and patterns. And, you know, one is an obvious one was violence and alcoholism in my maternal line that my mum didn't pass down. She didn't, she stopped that in terms of, I don't know how much of this I really want to share because it's not really my story, but (laughs) so I'm a bit conscious of sharing her story too much, but there was a lot of stuff in her childhood that um, she didn't perpetuate and she didn't repeat. Um, And, you know, that was physical violence. There was alcoholism. There was, um, 
a few things like that that are huge that she was able to stop um, intergenerational poverty. She provided us with an education. There were so many of those really huge things that she ended at her line, which I feel so grateful and blessed for. Um, and I guess for me, I really want to take that further and, and now work on the emotional stuff with my child. So be able to sit with those deeper feelings that maybe she couldn't sit with because of her own experiences and the other work that she was doing. So I think my calling for myself and my children is to really be able to show up um, at a deeper level and her, uh, hold space for those deeper feelings that may not be around trauma or big stuff, but that day-to-day -day kind of stuff. Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. And then, <laughs> yeah, uh, very, very similar. And then, so what, when the next generation, what do you think, you know, your kids work might be? Oh, oh, um, I don't know if that's up to me. That's a really good question, but I don't know if that's, I think that's their journey and that's their, and they will figure out wounds that I haven't seen. So I mm -hmm. don't know if I can even answer that because there will be stuff. Don't that know I'm yet. <laughs> yeah. There'll be stuff that I'm blinded to that they will say, hey, mum, you missed this. And that's okay. That's part of, you know, conscious parenting isn't about being perfect. It's about showing up and healing what we can. So um, I imagine that I'll have conversations with my son when he's a teenager or an adult and he'll say, you know, this didn't work for me or this wasn't enough or, and I'll have to sit in that discomfort of knowing that there was stuff that I missed. Yeah. And then that's his work. So that's cool. Yeah. No, that's a good answer because I reflect on that too. And I, I, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I, yeah. I can come up with possibilities, <laughs> but like it, uh, I do find it. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Cool. Well, thank you for sharing. We know a little bit more about you. And so next, can you take us into conscious discipline? What is conscious discipline? And then, you know, there's a lot of different words out there now, conscious parenting, um, you know, gentle discipline. A lot of people are familiar with like no drama discipline, just this new, not new, but you know, this, I guess we'll just call it that, you know, there's a new way of parenting. Um, mm. How do you define that? So the reason why I use the word conscious discipline is because I think sometimes gentle discipline can be misinterpreted to mean that we don't have any boundaries. And I think that that's a really unfortunate misinterpretation of what a lot of us are trying to teach. So the idea of conscious discipline for me comes back to this idea that we're bringing ourselves into the picture, that we're not just looking at our children and, you know, a behaviorist approach, which is a bit of the more traditional consequences rewards, but we're looking at a bit more of a holistic picture. So when I think about conscious discipline, I think about six pillars and I try and encourage parents to look at all of those pillars when something's going on in their home, that is a bit challenging because again, I think sometimes parents can take, Oh, okay. So, consequences aren't great but logical consequences are good so then they try and use logical consequences in every single situation which is just not going to be able to be the case so I try and get parents to see it in a bit more of a holistic view by looking at these kind of six pillars which are that the first one or they're not in order but the first one is the relationship so that's a really big part of our children being able to show up and be their authentic selves and be in the world so our parent-child relationship um, the second one is that we focus on our own healing and understanding what our children might be mirroring in us or bringing up for us. And we work towards shifting that again. I think that that's a really important part that isn't kind of focused on as we talked about before, um, meeting inner needs. So children who are, you know, hungry, tired, don't have enough autonomy, then 
it's going to be hard for them to be able to engage in a cooperative way. So that's a really important thing to focus on. Emotional regulation. So um, that means kind of helping children release their big feelings, helping them regulate the nervous system and come back into balance. Because again, that's not probably one of the main reasons why kids act outside of the way we would want them to. And boundaries and then collaboration and problem solving which is just about kind of being on the same team as children and te teaching them ways of communicating that mean that we can kind of get down at a level and understand that they're having a challenge and we're having a challenge and how do we work together in relationship to come up with a solution that works. So I guess when I think about conscious discipline, they're the six pillars that I think about and that's what I kind of encourage parents to look at is that you're never going to have one simple answer when you're thinking about discipline. It's about this holistic view and trying to think about which of those pillars needs more attention for this particular challenge. Okay, and then for the, the regulation and you know, the emotional regulation, the nervous system regulation, you mentioned that being one of the um, really big parts. Um, mm. And I think that's, yeah, we most experience that because like when that's not regular, then we have the, the, you know, the, the behaviors, the unwanted mm. behaviors and you know, tantrums and things like mm -hmm. that. So, can you share uh, how maybe that manifests and, you know, like the tantrum manifests from like this dysregulation and then also how to help um, children regulate where I'm not, so I guess since I have a toddler, I'm thinking more so like toddlers and younger kids, right? Because you can't like explain things to them you know, rationally and, and that kind of stuff. So yeah, what does it look like when a child or a toddler is, is you know, dysregulated and then how can mm -hmm. we help them? you know, harmonize. Um, yes. So the first question was, what, what does it look like? So mm -hmm. every child will have a different pattern of dysregulation. Some of them, their body will speed up. So it will get really fast. And then you might see that they might hit, they might be really impulsive. They might be pushing boundaries a lot, saying no a lot. Now, some of this is normal toddler behavior. So <laughs> it is about getting to know your child. Um, but hitting is, is definitely a sign. Biting, um, pushing. Um, sometimes it can manifest in terms of hyperactivity. So running around really fast and being, so it's like their body just has too much energy that they haven't been able to balance. And then at the other spectrum, they'll go too slow. So their body will kind of almost check out or they'll be, they'll look disconnected, glazed over. Now these are the kids that we tend to miss a lot um, because they look quite calm and on the surface and they look like they're quite cooperative, but um, those kids are also in a pattern of dysregulation as well. So they're really important to look out for. Um, but mostly in toddlers, what we see is that speeding up and we see that kind of hitting, aggression, hyperactivity, unable to control their impulses. So that's kind of the main things that you would notice. And that's a really important sign. When you're seeing your child hit somebody or bite or push, that's a really important sign that they, their nervous system is dysregulated and that they need help regulating their emotions they don't need to be punished or scolded or reprimanded or, or even taught anything at that point. Cause at that point, their prefrontal cortex has started to go offline. So they've moved into this mode where their prefrontal cortex, the, you know, small part of it that's already developed is actually not really there and available. So those ideas, you know, of talking logically to them, explaining what you want to have happen, um, rationalising with them, all of that stuff requires a higher order part of their brain that is offline once they're dysregulated. So 
at that point, we're really just trying to get them into their body and either slow their body down or help them have a really big emotional release. So I tend not to use the word um, tantrum. I tend to prefer the word emotional release because that kind of helps us reframe what it is. So your next question was, I think was what, how do we help them? So a tantrum is a really healthy way for a child to rebalance. So if we can actually, if a child can start to tantrum, so they can start to rage or cry and we can sit in that space next to them and be really grounded and really present and have no agenda, then what can happen is all of that extra energy will re re release from their system and then that will rebalance their nervous system. And you'll know when you get that right because their eyes will be brighter, they'll take a deep breath afterwards, they'll be more cooperative, they'll be more connected to you, they'll have returned to that authentic self. Um, so that's, yeah, that's one way is through a tantrum is how we help them. Another way that's really important to help children release so kind of built up feelings and stress is through laughter. So playing. So I know with my two-year-old, we chase him around the house and we pretend to catch him and he hides and we find him and he giggles and giggles and giggles. And that is a really healthy way for him to release lighter feelings of powerlessness and stress that he's built up throughout the day. Um, so tears and raging, which is a tantrum, laughter, and then even just helping them slow their body down. If, you know, if you're not at that point, it might be something like getting them to jump on the trampoline or getting them to move their body or getting them to go out in nature. So all the things really that we do as adults, <laughs> we're teaching them the very same things. And so they're basically, you know, some ways that we, we can help our kids regulate again. Yeah. And Alia, like when you said that using the different word, like an emotional release and that, that with that comes a perspective shift um, and, you know, doing, I'm not an expert in this stuff. I'm just passionate about it. And I've, I've read at least a dozen different like parenting books and I think about it a lot and, and that's what I've really come to notice is like one of the biggest parts is, is just looking at it all differently, right? So many yes. people want, how do I just either make this behavior stop or how do I do this or how do I get this result? Mm -hmm. And, you know, parenting this way, it, it really isn't about that. And you, mm -hmm. you, you have to switch to just, you know, the way you see uh, everything. And, um, and then yes. also a lot of it is about prevention, unfortunately, because, uh, you, you know, even when I talk to like my mom or whoever, or whoever about like different, you know, kids and situations, yeah, but like, I keep coming back to like, yeah, but what do you do in like, you know, this situation? Um, and then, you know, just like wanting like to make sure like that either stops or never happens again. And it's just like, yeah. uh, like unfortunately is a little more to it than that. Um, and you it just is. really, yeah, it takes a completely different yeah way of, of thinking and, and approaching um but I, yeah so i like that stuff that you said and the you know just allowing them to have emotions right and just laughing mm. and crying and you know getting them outside and doing stuff with them and but then I, I don't a part of me even like has that similar like what i was just talking about like so i'll, I'll share you know a personal example um ever since you know Bodhi was born so now like the my older son lucan we pretty much have to just go to bed with him until he falls asleep. Whereas before, yeah, and we, we did that for a long time anyway, and we co-slept and everything, but then he just on his own naturally just, you know, slept his own room in his own bed and, mm -hmm. you know, would either fall asleep quickly or just would fall asleep on his own, just be like, all right, bye. And then yeah. it yeah. was born and now it's not like that at all. And if we try to leave, mm -hmm. he will scream at the top mm -hmm. of his lungs nonstop. Mm -hmm. And so part of me is like, 
how do I make that stop? And so I'm curious, one, if we are what you would recommend there, but then two, like my, me, what I've come to do is just accept the fact that I'm going to bed with him and, you know, give him what he, give him what he needs. And you know, I don't want to do that. I want to do a lot of other things, but you know, this is, I signed up to be, you know, this, this steward in the sky. So, um, so yeah, is there any, like, yeah, do you have any thoughts on that? Or like with, I'm sure that's a common thing with people, right? The whole nighttime yeah. and sleeping thing. And yeah. so is there like, yeah, you know, we, we've been reflecting like, oh, you know, let's spend more time with them during the day. Let's do this and let's do that. And we've been doing a lot of that stuff, but still just like, no, freak out if you try to leave. <laughs> yeah. And it's so much harder when second baby comes along, isn't it? Because like yeah. you say, you know, maybe all of those needs were getting met and maybe all of those feelings were getting released. And now it's just a whole different story. And toddlers have to go through, I'm assuming it's a toddler. I don't actually, mm-hmm. didn't ask you how old he is. Yeah. He'll be how old's your oldest? Three, yeah. Um, they have to, they go through such a process of grief. That's really hard for us to understand and for them to explain because, you know, things have really shifted overnight. Um, and what I guess what I say about parenting, about sleep is that children generally need three things to go to sleep. One is that they feel connected to us that their needs are met. And so maybe when a new toddler comes, a new baby comes along, they need more of that connection at nighttime. Like you're saying, maybe this is just an inner need that needs to be met. Um, they also need to feel tired, which I'm sure he does. And then the third one is that they need, their body needs to be relaxed. So their feelings need to have been released. And sometimes if we're, you know, they can kind of distract themselves throughout the day or they're playing a lot or whatever. And then they get to nighttime and everything gets quiet, just as it does with us, everything gets quiet and everything calms down. And all of a sudden those feelings bubble up in them and they feel more of a need to be heard. And this is why a lot of parents will say, I get all these tantrips at nighttime. We're fine during the day. And then, you know, right before bed or cause it's just like us. Like if we lie down and we're feeling a bit anxious about something or we've got thoughts racing, that tends to feel more intense when we lie down and we're quiet. And so it's the same for our kids. Sometimes it's not that they're necessarily choosing that. It's just all of a sudden those feelings are bubbling over and they need more of that connection or they need somebody to listen to them cry and rage and, get it all out. Um, and so, yeah, a lot of my clients will have that where they have to listen to a lot of crying and a lot of tears before bedtime. And then once they do that, they can, their child can go off to sleep. Um, so yeah, no, there's no, there's no quick fix, but I think <laughs> it did definitely thinking about all the right things in terms of his needs and his emotions and, and yeah. that's, that's the important thing long-term. Yeah, I definitely, I felt a, uh, you know, strong, you know, emotional reaction when you mentioned like this concept of like, uh, of like that grief and that change. Mm-hmm. And it reminds me of, you know, just, you know, helping you know, our children do what adults need to do. And, mm-hmm. you know, as someone who works as a type of you know, therapist, I'm thinking of you know, like certain clients that I, you know, grief comes up a lot and I talk about grieving and, you know, and I, I do a lot of like, like channel messages for people and stuff and, you know, like share like what comes through there. And, uh, and one recently was had to, has to do with like grief and sadness. And, you know, if you never let yourself be sad for, you know, you really your whole life and you never actually know, knew how to grieve. So now like, you need to do that now. And how long is it going to mm. take? As long as it takes, could take years. I don't know. And so, yeah, I extend that to a child who, you know, their entire reality that they know shifts so drastically overnight. Like, yeah you expect them to just like get over that in a week or something like, you know, so it's like, how long is it going to take? It's like however long it needs. 
Um, yes. So that, yeah, that's a definitely a, a powerful way to, to look at it. Thank you. And, and like you say, it's, it could even not even just be the grief that's coming up. Like sometimes these birth processes can bring up other things that have been held into their body as well, that now it's all coming up. So they're going to release more of that. Um, so sometimes we have our agenda or we think we know what it is, but actually it's it just like you said, we have to kind of step back and, and take our timeframes out of it because mm. there might be other stuff that he's bringing up that he that now is the right time for him to release. And I definitely get caught up in this with my son of like, you know, <laughs> well, we've dealt with that or <laughs> uh, can get my adult agenda into it. And it's just not how it works. It's about exactly like you say, how would we show up for an adult with patience and no time expectations and just continuing to listen to the feelings and the, as they come up, they'll come up in their own divine time. Yeah. And when you were saying other stuff will come up too, that um, what came up for me was also yeah, um, like the, the difference in the birth, like I was briefly telling you before we were mm. recording the difference in the births and, you know, like Lucan's birth. Um, I guess, yeah, I'm sure it's traumatic. And, and people who, who follow me, they know I pretty much think any westernized birth is tra traumatic. Um, and so the, yeah, so, and then, so Bodhi had this pretty incredible experience you know, in her home and all this kind of that. Mm. And then Lucan's, mm. yeah, there was a lot of, you know, his mother was in a lot of pain. And, you know, it was in the hospital and being empathic in a hospital, all these other kind of energies can come in X, Y, Z. And then, so maybe, you know, when, you know, Bodhi's energy was carrying like that, that energetic field of, right, that, that harmonious birth. And so maybe that has having some type of like imprint on, on Lucan and like that's clearing his field. Um, exactly. And I'm getting chills on that. So yeah, that's yes. Yes. never would have thought of that. <laughs> and that's it, isn't it? It's the story that we tell ourselves because we don't know, right? That could be true. That might not. We don't know. But the story that we tell ourselves that actually allows us to show up even more for our children is really important. And I think you mentioned this before when you said something about reframing. Like, we have to be so aware of the stories that we're telling ourselves, you know, about bedtime. So what is it that we're, we're going to bedtime with? What story that is it that he shouldn't be doing this? Or is it that, you know whatever and now you've got this story that's like oh okay maybe actually he's releasing something about his own birth and then I wonder if that actually allows you to show up more for him and that's what I that's what I love about conscious parenting is when we can be aware of the stories we're bringing into the moment and shift those so that it allows us to be more open and more ready for our kids then that's that's the work and that's just yeah, oh, I love hearing you talk about that. It's amazing. <laughs> uh, so fun. And then, so a lot of my clients, they talk, well, I mean, the, the show's called The Healthy Empath, right? So people listening, they're sensitive souls, you know, they identify as empaths, um, you know, like different kinds of like, you know, healers, healers to be, I say. And then, so they find that they often have either all of their children or at least one of their um, children uh, is very sensitive, you know, highly empathic. Do you, have you come across this, um, you know, in your practice and how can those, I think the answer is probably, you know, you do the same thing for them. I don't know. Maybe you have um, better ways to, to look at it or approach it, but so yeah, how can we help that extra sensitive um, children and mm -hmm. perhaps, you know, what might be going on in the relationship with a highly sensitive parent and a highly sensitive child? Mm. Uh, yes, I I'm, I'll be very honest with you, I pushed away this concept for a long time in my work and um, thought, no, everyone is and everybody needs these responses and it's the same. And then 
I had my son and I was like, oh, <laughs> it's not the same. This is what people are talking about. So I have to come from that um, honesty with the people who are listening to your podcast that a few years ago, I would have not necessarily understood this to the same depths that I understand it now, having a toddler in my house and who's teaching me about this at a very deep level <laughs> and calling me to understand this at a much greater level than I did a few years ago. Um, so I think probably what I've come to understand with my clients and my own son is that, yes, it is the same. We do need to help all children release their emotions. And, but we have to understand that these sensitive kids are going to, as I know all of your listeners know, feel more deeply and experience things more deeply. And so we're probably going to have to listen to more feelings and we're probably going to have to, for some of them, I think, and I know my son does this, they call us to a deeper level of presence when we are listening to that feeling. So what we might get away with in terms of being able to hold space with other children, we won't necessarily get away with with sensitive children. They can feel any slight agenda. They can kind of sense if you want them to hurry that up or if you want them to release that quicker or if you want them to move on. And know if you're lying. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> so I think that they, so the first thing is I think that they really call us to hold space in a, in a deeper level. Um, and so that might make, that might mean we have a lot of our own work to do to be able to, to sit in that space. And I also think that it means that we will have to listen to more feelings and, and it's probably, I don't want to say more important because I think it's, it's important for every child, but we have to realise that these kids will build up their feelings more easily and quicker. And so we need to be able to really teach them those skills of releasing through tears, through healthy rage and through laughter and kind of supporting them to do that as often as they need. And if that's all day, every day, that's all day, every day, so that then they can go out into the world in balance again and, you know, do the amazing things that they will do with their skills and their sensitivities. Nice. And so, yeah, actually today on a, on a call with a client and she was saying like, that's one of the, she, you know, one of her kids are her seven year old and is the extra sensitive one. And when the seven year old gets overwhelmed or stressed, then, you know, she gets overwhelmed and stressed and it mm -hmm. just, they, it builds upon each other to this mm -hmm. point of complete overwhelm. And so is this a matter of, just slowing down and, you know, kind of like, like stopping and allowing for, for this space and just, you know, recognizing that we're both, you know, really wound up here. So I think we both have something to learn about our bodies and our nervous systems and, you know, how to approach the day kind of thing. So yeah. Um, what advice would you have there? Is it the same as kind of what you've been talking about? Yeah. I think that when we get, when we get to the point of as parents where we're overwhelmed by our kids releasing, then it's probably a sign that we may not have somebody who's listening to our feelings. So either we don't have somebody listening to our feelings or we haven't listened to our own inner child. Yeah. And that might mean that we have some layers of work to do about listening to the needs that didn't get met or whatever's being brought up within ourselves um, so that we can create more space in our body to be present for them when they have their feelings. So I guess it's always a sign of, what, what do I need? How, what do I need to do to look after myself as a parent so that I can show up fully and with complete presence for my child who needs to be able to come home and have a big cry or have a meltdown or release in some way? 
And often that's boundaries. Often that's, you know, simplifying the routine. It's finding the right balance, which is really hard when you've got a family of multiple different people and different needs, but <laughs> finding that sweet spot where everybody gets their, their needs met, but are not overstimulated so quickly. Um, but also, yeah, calling in help for, or, or therapy or whatever it is that allows, you know, somebody to sit there for you because it is big work to sit there for a kid in the way that we want to do this with authenticity and presence. So we need people to be able to do that for us too. And we need to do that for our own inner children. Does that so, answer that question? Yeah. And um, so is, uh, well, the question here has to do with, all right. Yeah. So reflecting back onto ourselves, right? So, you know, if we're teaching our kids all this stuff, then of course we have to role model that and, you know, mm. we have to mm. regulate our own, nervous systems and you know process our own emotions and um that kind of work so is what kind of um work do you have parents do on themselves is there a specific um, a certain type of uh process that's you you think is helpful or you know do you do some type of inner child work some type of shadow work um what do you think is required uh of parents to show up the way that they need to show up for our children right now Mm, that's a, another big question. You like these big questions, don't you, Mike? <laughs> you can answer them uh, any way you want. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think back to it's. It's. I think it's so different for each each family that I work with. Honestly, for some families, it's about looking at their schedule and simplifying their schedule, and that's where we start. Um, for other families, it's. I guess I. I it sounds like you work more with families who are called, who are quite sensitive and quite already doing a lot of their work. I don't necessarily have all of those. So sometimes we're starting a little bit further in another direction. So we might just be removing consequences or um, yeah. So I guess my, my range of clients is quite, is, is huge. And so yeah. sometimes it is just starting at, things like looking at their schedule and sometimes it is, you know, removing conditional based parenting techniques. Yeah. Um, most most people listen to, to this, that, I'll say that real quick. Most people listen to this, have probably done years of therapy yes. and healing work. Yeah. And various <laughs> things, yeah. um, so when we get to that more deeper, deeper work, I don't have a specific process. No, I think it's, um, I'm trying to, I'm trying to see if I can think of an example of something that's occurred recently, but um, I guess. So, I so for like a, <laughs> so for a, you know, a, a parent or, I mean, a family struggling with these kind of challenges that comes in and maybe, yeah, they're not used to this kind of stuff. So you don't just be like, all right, yeah, this is a manifestation of, you know, uh, your kids are an extension of, of yourself and a manifestation of your own consciousness of their problems. You have problems that you need to look at on, you know, within yourself. You don't, you don't start off there. <laughs> yeah, it's not step one. <laughs> um, Maybe but, set some boundaries and just but, talk yeah. about like re you know, reframe parenting things. And <laughs> um, but I guess... I'm trying to go back to what your exact question was because I, I got a little off track. So more your so question just like, was, what yeah, if... Yeah, I'm asking if you have a particular like way that 
um, family or parents can work with their own, you know, work with themselves Do this. What kind of like self-work can they do to better like help their kids? You know, do they need to do inner child work to have you found? Do they need to do, um, is it just a matter of, you know, some health practices and creating, you know, space and time for themselves. So just seeing if there's any, anything's like that, that, mm. um, you've come across. So, yeah, I guess once we get through the basic, it's not even inner child work is pretty foundational, but, mm-hmm. um, I think that that's probably a big part of what comes into this. So, being able to recognize what your inner child didn't get and how that's coming up, how that's being triggered when your child potentially. So if, for example, you were a person whose tears didn't get listened to and then your child cries a lot, that could be really triggering. So then the work is to understand that and understand what wounds are coming up for you and how you can kind of meet that for yourself and also get another adult to support you in meeting that. Um, so I guess that's the work is, and you know, sometimes that's through meditation, sometimes that's through journaling. Um, sometimes that's through understanding the stories that you're telling yourself, but really working out what it is that your inner self didn't get that is now stopping you from being able to be present and hold space for your child. Because I find that most parents have something, I think we all do have, have something that kind of gets in the way and, of us to actually be able to sit through a tantrum and an emotional release and be totally present without an agenda. Um, And I'll give an example of myself recently that I've realized with my son is that I didn't have an agenda around tears or rage. I could totally show up and hold space for that. But what I actually had an agenda around, which I didn't realize an unconscious agenda around was when he was holding his emotions in, I would get triggered because that for me was a feeling of, oh my gosh, I'm not doing it right. He's holding, which is no, I know is not healthy. And so that's a sign for me that I'm failing. And so then he could pick up on that slight agenda and he would hold even more. So I had to work through and still do work through this idea that actually maybe this isn't his timing. Maybe he's not ready to release at this point. And I can't rush that. And I can't bring my own expectations and my own, wounds of wanting to be this you know good mother around his emotions into the picture I have to be able to be present for him without an agenda so I think a big part of our work is figuring out what stories we're telling ourselves and what unconscious agenda we're bringing into that ability to hold space for our kid that's that's I like that. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if I've reflected on that yet, which is, you know, what agendas do I have here? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Um, so that's something I will reflect on because I'm sure it, there's <laughs> plenty. <laughs> and I think for those of us who, who have done a fair bit of work, so for your listeners, that those agendas can be a little bit harder to spot because, mm-hmm. you know, for those people who are turning up and saying, oh, I just don't want my child to cry. It sounds like your listeners will probably have worked through that. They're, they realize that that's a healthy thing. But it doesn't mean that we don't have a deeper level. It doesn't mean that we don't have another layer of stuff that kind of still gets in our way. Um, so I guess that's, that's a big part of our work. Mm. What are some other challenges that you see when it comes to parenting in this way? Um, in terms, so let me give an example. The, uh, more so about just being in this world yeah right just go to a playground and you like you just see like this the way parents are when the kids and they're right this child is and that's that's happening it's just 
um, out of this world, the way people talk to their kids and the way they control and the, yeah, this controlling nature. And then, so I, I just think of like this whole sharing thing. Hey, you you have a toddler now. You've probably seen like you know, people trying to get like their, you know, less than one year old to, to share with all the other kids at the playground. And then they're all like hovering and like so worried about, about who's sharing and not. And then I start to like feel weird. Cause I'm just like, you know, not saying anything at all. I'm just like, let him figure it out. Or like he doesn't have to share. <laughs> <laughs> so what are some other, or like, yeah, what types of like challenges do you, have you helped, um, you know, navigate some families through when it comes to, you know, holding your own space and, you know, knowing that you're doing the right thing, you know, allowing your kid to cry, allowing your kid to choose for himself, um, or, or, or more so even just with uh, like parents, right? Because yeah, you know, everyone's parents has little, little comments to say. So what kind of um, challenges have you seen there? And do you have any advice on yeah, how to just stay in your, in your knowing and in your, in your space when it comes to this kind of stuff? Mm. It's, it is a tough one, isn't it? So you're asking if, you know, when we walk out so, into social the mainstream kind of. world. Yeah, yeah. Okay. How do we kind of hold on to what we know is true? Um, again, I think that depends on what's coming up for each each person is, is what's making us feel wobbly. Is it that we need a little bit more information or is it triggering something in us? Or is it, you know, for some people, it's just like, oh, I needed a bit of reassurance from a professional. Or I needed to be able to know that, you know, this book said this. Or, And for other people, it's a little bit deeper than that. It kind of, um, it brings up things for them that are at, a, at an, another level, if that makes sense. So turning up to the park and not being accepted. Or turning up to the park and feeling different. Or... So I think it would it would definitely depend on the situation and the person and um, what is actually what is actually turning up for them. Um, but I guess I would say <laughs> I guess I would say that um, unless we we can't control other people's relationships and we can't control what goes on around us and all we can really focus on is what we do with our children and um i think that finding people around us and finding support people and finding therapists or whoever it is that really confirm and and help us feel solid in our decisions helps us show up with lots of integrity and intention and i think that our children can feel that so we kind of need to do whatever it takes to make us feel solid in our parenting choices. Because then when we show up to the park with a different approach, our child's going to feel that and be okay with that. Whereas if we show up with a bit of a, oh, am I doing it wrong or questioning ourselves or constantly comparing ourselves, then it's really going to make us wobbly and not feel like leaders in our, in our child's life. So, um, yeah, I guess it's about figuring out whether it's information, whether it's support, whether it's other like-minded people that can help reassure us that we're on the right path. And that's that's probably what's important there. Yeah, I, I also got a, a really great answer out of that, which was kind of for like the scenario I had in my head. All right, say so you're at a park and you know, you're doing something, you know, you have a different approach with your children than what's happening around. 
is staying focused on your relationship mm. with your child. Mm, not what beautiful. other people are doing, not what other people are saying, or more so, mm. it's more so just, you know, your thoughts and your worries, but staying yeah, in that space between you and the kid and then almost like ignoring in a way. Like a boundary. Yeah. yeah, what the other mm. people are doing or what they might think and then, you know, just staying focused, uh, mm. staying focused there. So, yeah, I think. I like that word focused, yeah. Being focused really, on your path and your, yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's a good answer. And the, lastly, um, I'm curious about also if you, you know, when it comes to you know, this work and you know, families, but then also the the relationship between you know a parent and uh, oh, actually, I thought of an agenda. So, real quick note. Ah. <laughs> so I remember the first time that you know Lucan started being the the more aggressive kid playing, right? Whereas before he was always just you know so calm, so gentle, um, you know, and kids would like rip stuff out of his hands, smash him in the face, and he just would just be like okay and then you write that makes you feel so good like oh look at my Mm. peaceful little boy (laughs) (laughs) but then all of a sudden when he's like the tyrant it's just like the worst feeling ever (laughs) so i definitely have an agenda about you know being Mm. this like the peaceful warrior right like expecting him to be this like holy already right (laughs) Mm. oh so important isn't it to recognize (laughs) yeah oh yeah but uh so the question i was starting to ask had to do with um our relationships with our our parents you know as adults and because something i've been reflecting on for myself is you know with my with my mom i'm very very a lot of times short and reactive and then of course that, that plays out too you know also my wife but i'm sure that stems from when i started doing that as a child to my mom and of course from her perspective it's you know just oh you're you're fresh you're naughty you're short you're you're this you're that and then it was just uh, i simply got a label and then there was no self-reflection on you know her part or no kind of joint you know understanding and uh, but we were talking about recently we're probably gonna work on it um and then I, you know, I, I catch myself doing this to, to my wife too. And then, you know, and then I just quickly apologize or make a joke out of it. And, and so I'm not quite sure what the question is here, but uh, do you have, yeah. Or how have you seen this kind of play out when it comes to parenting our children or, or still, you know, continuing to, to recognize that, you know, where it's called like conscious parenting, but you're also still, many of us, not everyone, um, you know, I'm, you know, 30. So anyway, I'm still, I'm so, so she sees me as a child. I, I still have a parent. And mm-hmm. then so for them, you know, there might be this element of, you know, she probably thinks she's still parenting. So sorry, I don't have a super formulated question for this one, but <laughs> okay, we'll roll with it. <laughs> <laughs> Do you, uh, is there anything you can touch on there is to, like, how are the patterning when we were children who plays out later in our life with our partners or with our still parents? Um, so I guess the, the first thing that comes to mind is that, I don't know if you talked much about this on your, po- on your podcast already, but the idea of subconscious pre-programming, um, that so the way that our kind of brain develops is that in those first six years of life, basically, is where like little sponges we absorb everything and we absorb patterns of relationships and we absorb ways of being with emotions and we absorb those unconscious responses from our parents 
and we take them as this is how we need to show up in the world. And so that patterning, it becomes really strong and that becomes kind of our foundation. Now, it's not that you can't shift that. We all know that healing, well, I should say, <laughs> I want to reiterate that healing is possible for all at any age, but those first few years of life can make things really feel really strong in our body and make those patterns really strong. Um, so then when we move back into our family of origin, when we kind of go back into those relationships and they do their dance, they do their steps and their roles, then it's so really hard to kind of go back into that relationship, into that dynamic and shift. So we might have shifted some of those roles in our outside life, but when we move back into that family of origin, that patterning just kind of comes up and those we step back into those old roles. And I think this is really a common concern for a lot of people is, you know, I've shifted this in this part of my life or I've, and then I go back and I talk to my mom and I am just like that teenager again, or I'm just like this. And that's just that next level of healing that we need to engage in. And it's, it's really hard long-term work um, because I can't remember who said that. I'm sure it's like a fairly famous quote or something. Like if you think you healed, go and spend a, a week with your, you know, that one, if you think you healed, yeah, go I and think spend it's attributed to, to Ram Dass, but I'm not, I'm not Ideas, sure okay. if that's, uh, it's, it's, that's actually where it started, but I, I see that quoted with his name a lot. <laughs> right. There you go. Um, so Yes, I guess, I guess what, we're, what we're dealing with, what we're facing there is that really early conditioning that feels really strong in our body and feels like this is how we need to show up in this relationship and that it takes an extra level of conscious awareness. And I talk, I'm not talking about this from a place of being perfect with my family of origin. <laughs> so please don't let me come as like some, you know, yeah, this is, this is work that I am still doing myself as well, is that when we step back into those roles to bring another level of conscious awareness to our patterns and our, and our habits, um, because that, that's where the real healing will occur. So I think that was your first question is why do we kind of get um, caught up in those roles? Yeah, so so that, that patterning is, from yeah, those early years. From that early years. Um, and then... And then I guess that's, and then that kind of comes into our other relationships that uh, turns up in terms of our marriages and our attachments and our, the ways that we show up in other relationships, we can kind of fall back into those, those habits and those ways of being because they're so familiar and the brain wants things to be familiar, um, but it's not necessarily um, what we want it to be. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, so you have an Instagram and you have some really cool posts on it and they're all like you know, short, like little quotes or saying, well, what is that process like for you? How do you come up with that stuff? Um, is it, is it, do you have like a whole notebook, like stored of stuff or the, like little pieces from slices or do you just kind of like almost like you're like channeling it from like that creative, you know, part within you? Yeah, I think it just comes up from the work I do with clients or my own healing journey or uh, something I see in my son. So it just, you know, along the day, I'll kind of something will pop into my head and then I don't kind of sit down and create content. Um, it just kind of comes to me when I'm, I don't know, maybe not being so mindful washing the dishes or something and <laughs> um, I'll, it will just kind of come into my head and I'll quickly note it down. So 
No, I don't, I don't have a process. I don't sit down and create content ahead of time. I just do it when, um, when, you know, inspired by probably my own healing journey, my own journey with my own relationships and the clients that I work with and, and the work that I'm witnessing them doing. That's probably where most of that inspiration comes from. Cool. Cool. So where can people follow along? What's your Instagram? What's the best place to connect with you, work with you, all that good stuff? Uh, so my Instagram is raising humans kind, and that's probably where I shop the most. So I try and post regularly, although I'm about to have a baby in a couple of weeks. So I, I'll probably be taking some time off that. Um, and my, my, website is holisticfamilypsychologist.com and I have a couple of courses there and I do email consultations and I'm not doing phone com- consultations now, but I, I will once I return from leave after my baby. Um, and those courses are on conscious discipline and learning how to help our little kids emotionally regulate and release those big feelings. So a lot of what we talked about today. Beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing. What is, uh, what's your real quick this recovery post-birth process look like for you? Are you gonna, um, do you have a plan? Uh, I've heard like different things and of that people like, like to do, or, um, you know, like 40 days of, you know, no work. Yeah. Have someone do everything for you. Or you just kind of got to give yourself time to, to, to rest or anything in particular. I do actually, last time I, I knew I needed, I wanted to rest, but I found it really difficult to rest. So I found that story of having to be the woman, that can do everything really came up and that was really challenging, but I feel quite grateful. I had quite a significant tear. And so I needed to lie down with my legs together to heal that. And so that forced me to rest. And now I have this knowing that that healing process was so essential for my whole first year of motherhood. And so I'm hoping this time (laughs) I won't have the same challenges of wanting to get up and do things. I'll know that how important that rest period is. Um, So I've got a lot of women in my life who are taking a day each. And so I've organized like a bit of a, it's called like a seven sisters system uh, where they will bring over food or snacks or take my toddler for a walk or nourish me in some way. So each of them are dedicated a day for the first four weeks after birth. Um, So we'll do that. And my husband will be home for the first four weeks. And so I'll just hopefully stay in bed and, you know, deal with my... (laughs) bonding and my toddler's emotions that I'm so <laughs> aware will come up <laughs> as everybody's told me. <laughs> yeah. So that's yeah, my, two, my two main things or three resting, bonding and supporting my toddler through what I know will be a huge transition. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, yeah. Thank you so much. Uh, so much fun. Yeah. And you already shared where people can find you. So I encourage people to, check it out whether you have kids or not or want kids or you are a kid that's all great stuff (laughs) and that's a wrap yeah thank you perfect thanks mike thanks for having me i really appreciate it